For this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 5, beginning at verse 31, and we're going to end at verse 30, verse 47. And in, in this text, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders who are challenging his authority, his claim to be the son of God. He explains that his authority comes from God the Father and that the scriptures testify about him and his mission. He also emphasizes the importance of belief in him and his teachings. But a stern stern warning uh, in this passage is given to those who do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus explains that those who reject him are rejecting God the Father and that they will be judged accordingly. And this is a warning to those who are outside of Christ, those who have not said yes to Christ and have made him Lord and Savior. So he warns that their rejection of him is evidence of their love of self and desire for the approval of others rather than the approval of God. And so Jesus states that those who do not believe in him will not have eternal life, but will face condemnation. And this warning is severe, and it serves as a reminder that belief in Jesus Christ is crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial for our salvation and that rejecting him will only lead to serious consequences. For the Lord himself says, what profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And I say to that, no deal. No deal. So let us read our text for this morning, John chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. If if I alone bear witness about myself, Jesus says, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he hears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater It is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. You do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. 
How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, how we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would help us as we consider your word this afternoon. We pray that you would give us open minds and open hearts that we might receive your word in order that we might be a changed people. Take away all the distractions. Help us to focus on you alone. Let everything that is useless fall to the ground. Let everything that is worthy be stored deep in our hearts that we might apply your word in obedience to you out of a heart of love. Help us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled today's sermon, The Testimony of Five Witnesses About the Son of God. I have five points. I'm going to do my best uh, with our points. I think we're going to be okay. If you guys pray, we should be okay. Point number one, the first witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is God the Father. The first witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is God the Father. Point number two, the second witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Point number three, the third witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is the works that he has performed. The works he has. Performed. Point number four, the witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. And point number five, the fifth witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is Moses. Moses. So Jesus is continuing the conversation. Remember, he was talking to the Jews, and Jesus builds his case to prove that he is the Son of God. He is about to give his opening statement, if you would. And he's going to acknowledge some things, but following the opening statement, statement he's going to bring forward five witnesses that we have just Discussed, we have just mentioned. So he begins in verse 31. Jesus already proved his divine nature through his ability to heal and give life according to his own authority, according to verses 19 through 30 in this same chapter. And so he continues by showing the Jews who continues to doubt his sonship. So he stacks more evidence. Right? He's shown his authority to be able to heal an invalid of 38 years. He, he postured himself and showed his power. And now he's going to stack the evidence against them by explaining to them the meaning of the Old Testament, starting with the doctrine of witnessing. He begins in verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus is not saying that he can't. 
testify about himself, but he actually says, if. In this passage, Jesus is is explaining that if he were to testify about himself, his testimony would not be considered valid. It would not be considered true. This is because it would seem to be self-serving and it could be seen as unreliable. It's better if someone else would testify on your behalf. And this is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint. The importance of multiple witnesses was a central part of Jewish legal procedures. In other words, Jesus knew the law. And his and, and at this time, he's only following the rules according to what Scripture demands. In Jesus' trial uh, before the Sanhedrin, the lack of agreement among the witnesses was a problem for the Jews because they were trying to accuse him. That's why oftentimes they're not. The trial procedure that is mentioned in Matthew 26 was considered a kangaroo court because there was no agreement between the witnesses to charge Jesus for a crime. So they went and found many false witnesses until they found two that agreed. They charged Jesus with no evidence, even though it was taught in the Hebrew scriptures and it was also reiterated in the Jewish tradition. They went ahead anyway. And so turn with me. That's, I, w- I want you to see that. that. That I think will be helpful for us as we continue to hear our Lord put before them these witnesses. Matthew 26, and we're going to pick up at verse 57. And here we're going to see how the scene plays out. And he's before the Sanhedrin. And normally you would have a group of men that is in the room and they have to come to some agreement. And the high priest was the one who would break the tie. If there was ever a tie on something they had to decide on, the high priest would be the one who breaks the tie. So just imagine Jesus is here before the Sanhedrin. Verse 57, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Notice what it says next. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. At last, sorry, at last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe. They knew exactly what he was saying. They, he, uh, the high priest tore his robe and said, he has uttered blasphemy. Notice what it says next. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered. He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. 
And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They've been wanting to kill Jesus ever since he healed the invalid on the Sabbath. Just a few verses back in John 5.18, it said, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's as if Jesus said, yeah, I said it, right? It's exactly what he's saying, and that's, they knew that's what he was saying. So with that being said, the importance of multiple witnesses in Jewish legal procedure was necessary. And it can be traced back to the Hebrew scriptures found in the Old Testament text. And what we're going to see is how rich the scriptures can be when we consider both the Old and New Testament. For example, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, it says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Similarly, in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three shall a charge be established. You see now how Jesus is building his case? He knows the law. And he's building it up. This is why Jesus opens his argument in verse 31, explaining about the necessity of having more than one witness. It wasn't about him not testifying about himself, but rather it was about him meeting the validity of a sound argument. Meaning that Jesus was being factually and legally binding and providing testimony that is acceptable about himself according to the scriptures. That's why he states in verse 31, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. The point number one. The witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is God the Father. Ultimately, Jesus' witness is not solely his own, but that God, but that of God the Father, as everything he says and does, is in obedience to him. Jesus goes on explaining that he has witnesses that will testify about him, but he begins with the testimony of God the Father. He states, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. This passage, Jesus is saying that the Father bears witness to him, meaning that God the Father testifies to Jesus' mission, his work, and his authority. And this testimony includes not only the voice from heaven, but also the signs of God's presence with Jesus. This passage highlights the importance of God's testimony and approval in confirming Jesus' divine commission. It's also, it also shows the confidence in his mission and his work as he is assured of the truth of the Father's testimony and does not 
about his identity as the son of God despite the devil's temptations. So overall, this passage emphasizes the significance of God's witness and the importance of humility and obedience in gaining God's approval. And the Lord is going to come back there in these upcoming verses, and he's going to bring the Father in again, and he's going to show how the Father testifies. Next point number two, the second witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is John the Baptist. In John 5, through 35, Jesus states, you sent John, and he was born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. So God, again, is building his case. He, he's actually saying, if I could paraphrase it, He's saying, now, if you put value on John the Baptist, how much more should you value what I say? And so in this passage, John the Baptist is reintroduced as a witness to the truth about Jesus. He had previously testified about Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we see that in John 1, 7, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Then in John 1, 29, it says the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So you see, John the Baptist is a witness. The the opponents of Jesus are reminded that they had sought out John and that he testified to the truth. However, despite listening to John and rejoicing during his time, his testimony did not have a lasting effect on them. The themes of Witness, light, and truth are linked here to support the claims that Jesus was making. However, the passage also emphasizes that Jesus' authority is not dependent on human acknowledgement. It's like Jesus says, I don't need the witness or testimony of man. But since you value John the Baptist, I I just thought I'd throw that in there. Salvation is from God and is not based on mere human testimony. But listen to Jesus in other places where he speak about himself and his work that he came to do. For example, in John 8, 12, he states, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am The light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's the same words he said earlier when he said, I come to bring life. And here we're hearing the same kinds of things. All right. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We also see in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it states, and there is salvation in no other. In other words, there is no life in no other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. That's the name that brings life. That's the name that brings salvation. There is no other name. That's the testimony of the scriptures. 
So we don't have to argue with anybody when we're speaking to them about salvation and how one can come to know God. We're just able to point them to what the Scripture says and say, do you believe what the Scripture says? And your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God. For what you're actually saying is that you don't believe him. And so we don't have to argue. We just have to stand strong on what the word of God says. But we must come into this knowledge so that this knowledge might guide our theology and how we live from, every, from day to day in this life. It's point number three. The third witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is the works he performed. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. He just said, I don't need man to back me up. So I could sing this as a solo. I don't need no backup singers. He says, I can do this as if God's saying, I could do this all by myself. And so he says, he mentions the witness of God himself who has given him works to finish. These works include not only his entire life and ministry, but also the miracles he performed as proof of his divine mission. In 1 John 5, 9, John John states, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Evidence of this is found also in chapter 4, of this same gospel, gospel of John, when he says, when Jesus says in John 4, 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his works. The disciples are saying, what, what did he get food from? Right. He's explaining to them that he's on mission. The same thing he tried to do with his parents. Where were you, son? I was just about my father's business. He was in the temple explaining the scriptures. He was on mission. Who is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the father. It is, as Jesus says, check the record. The miracles were given to him by the father, and they bear witness to his true identity as the son of God. They prove that he was sent by God and that his claims about himself are true. The father sent Jesus as a father sends his own son to take possession for himself. In those verses, he's stating that truth. In John 5, 37 and 38, it says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not believe his word, abide in, abide, word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. Jesus calls again on the Father's testimony in verse 37 and 38 for the purpose of restating the point he made earlier in his opening argument, which is the Father testifies about Jesus as the Son of God. And so in John 5, 37 and 38, Jesus speaks to the Jewish leaders who were challenging him and his claim to be the son of God. He asserts that his father who sent him has borne witness to him, has testified of him. This witness, the father, is greater than that of John the Baptist who testified to the truth about Jesus. 
And so Jesus is saying that God's testimony about him is the most authoritative evidence of his identity and purpose and reason why he's even on mission. You can't go higher than the father. It's as if someone is bringing a message to someone else that is in authority over the one they're bringing the message to. It gets no higher. So the Father bears witness to Jesus. Jesus says, the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. And so... Jesus is referring to the testimony God gave at his baptism when a voice from heaven declared, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's mine. In whom I am well pleased. But notice those three words. Listen to him. Listen to him. The very thing they're not doing is listening to the son when he's revealing himself and his divine nature as being the son of God. The father testifies. God's testimony was also affirmed at the transfiguration when a voice from a cloud declared, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And he says the same words. Listen to him. And that's the problem that everyone who do not know Christ What they're doing is not listening to the testimony. They're not trusting him as Lord and Savior. He says, believe and you shall be saved. It's simple. The thing that divides us is not what we do. We don't earn salvation. It's it's what we believe. And And when we don't come to know Christ, we're saying we don't believe I don't care what the scripture says. I still don't believe you. I need more. And it doesn't require that. Right? It's simple. And so, God the Father bore witness of Jesus Christ himself through the voice from heaven. But how does you recognize the voice of God when he speaks To you when he speaks to us. How do you recognize the voice of God? Scripture reminds us that there is no new revelation. So there's a need to be careful here in how we answer the question. We can recognize the voice of God when it aligns with his word and with the leading of his Holy Spirit. You see, anything that doesn't align with what he's already said, because we already have the revelation, there is no new revelation. We say we prophesy what's already been prophesied. We say the same thing the scripture says. We have to make sure our lives is in align with the revelation that is already given. What we need to pray for is not new revelation. We need to pray for illumination. We don't always see what's in the text. We don't always understand what God is saying. So therefore, we need to pray for illumination, not revelation. So be careful when somebody say to you, God told me something. You know, we need to say what chapter and verse. (laughs) Right? Show me where it is in the text because that's the only thing I'm going to listen to. I'm not listening to anything else. And so we recognize the voice of God when it aligns with what the word says by the leading of his spirit. God's witness is greater than that of John, Jesus says. He says, you sent John 
and he bore witness to the truth. John testified, however, Jesus says, the Father is greater. Why? Because it comes directly from God himself. Jesus says, you don't know what I know. The Jews did not have God's word abiding in them. Jesus says, you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, John 5.37. This refers to the fact that the Jews had not experienced the direct revelation of God's voice or form as Moses did on Mount Sinai. And Jesus goes on to say, his word does not abide in you. His word does not abide in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. See, there's, there's no other thing that we can do for God. There's, there's no other thing that we can have from God without first having God himself. So it begins at salvation. Before we can do anything, we have to first believe the testimony. We have to believe that he is who he says he is. That is the son of God, the one, the savior who have come to take away the sins of the world. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There's no way to the father except through me. So if somebody says I still need time, I don't know what else to tell them. I can only tell them what scripture says. But it would be obvious that the Holy Spirit is not working there. Why? Because the light is not there. When the light comes on, we're able to maneuver. We can step over. We can move around all because of the light that have come on. And so that's what the word of God does. That's what the scripture says. So before we can live for God, the light has to come on. We, have, we need his light, the scripture. We need the word. The scripture says that the word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. And so that's what the Jews are doing. They're trying to live without the light. And so it goes on to say that this indicates that the Jews had the scriptures, but they did not allow God's word to take root in their hearts to influence their beliefs. You see, when the word comes in, it rearranges things. It don't allow us to feel comfortable with sin. It bothers us to have to stand there and see sin before our very eyes. It bothers our conscience. We don't feel good about it. We can't continue because the word is saying, you see that? That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That, that's wrong. That's old. Look at that over there. And we can't just stand there and live in sin. We can, we can smell the stench, Right? We can see the impurities that is all around us. And that's why we struggle with being in this world. Paul even said, if I can go, I'll leave y'all. <laughs> but he says, for your sake, I'll, I'll stay. He was more about the mission that God had given him, and the scripture says that he must suffer for the gospel. So he knew he wasn't done yet. But at some point, Paul would come to the end of his life, and he would, he would say that I've come to an end. I've ran my course. I've finished the race, and now there is laid up a crown for me, a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who believe. See, we have expectation, right? So the Jews had the scriptures, but they did not have the God of the scriptures. 
Those whom God sends, he will bear witness of, and where he gives a commission, he will seal it. And so, have you received your commission from God? And are we actively seeking his confirmation in guiding us and directing us? Are we making any attempts to serve God and to honor God in every aspect of our lives? Or are we just doing this because it's a nice thing to do? We should seek God's guidance and confirmation in every aspect of our lives, especially in fulfilling the purpose and calling he has for us. The Jewish leaders did not believe in Jesus because they did not have the word of God abiding in them. So they could not recognize the extraordinary revelation of God. So in order for us to to draw near to God and to be close to him, we have to ask the question, are we studying and meditating on the word of God, allowing it to abide in us, allowing the word of God to live in us, right? Those are the kinds of things we want to do. Are we allowing God to help us to recognize the extraordinary things that he's doing in our lives? And so that means that if we're not, we must prioritize our relationships, right? In other words, if we have any individual that is getting adoration, getting respect, getting anything that would place them above God, We've created for ourselves idols. And those are the kinds of things we want to put away and put out and destroy. We must prioritize our relationship so that God might be number one. We do that by studying his word, seeking his face, and recognizing his voice when he speaks to us. Next, the fourth witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is the Scriptures. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is easy, and I'm sorry, and it is they that bear witness about him. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. That's what they were seeking. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. So the Jews' unbelief is evidence of their lack of faith in God's word. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because... You think that in them you have eternal life. And that's what a lot of people do today. They have put something in there, and they believe that they will have eternal life on the basis of what they think. All right? And the text goes on to say, It is they that bear witness about me, the scriptures, yet you refuse to come to me that you may, that you may have life. This indicates that the Jews had access to the scriptures, which testify about Jesus, but they refused to believe in him as the son of God, the savior of the world. So this is evidence of their lack of faith in God's word and their rejection of his plan for salvation. When people do not say, yes, Lord, When they do not come to him and make him their Lord and their Savior, they're actually saying, I have a better plan. If they understand what scripture says and still walk away, that's a rejection of the plan of salvation that God has given. 
And that's what these Jews are doing. They, they had the scriptures, yet they denied the one who could save them. Verse 39, Jesus is addressing the Jews who were searching the scriptures and thinking that they could find eternal life through them. But Jesus points out the scripture testifies about him. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth and the life. So there's no other way. So are we relying on our own knowledge and understanding to find eternal life is the question for those who do not believe, who have not come to the knowledge of Christ. Are we seeking Jesus or are we seeking Jesus, the source of eternal life? Verse 40, Jesus rebukes the Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus rebukes the Jews for refusing to come to him, even though the scriptures testify about him. So the Jews were looking for eternal life in the scriptures, but they refused to come to the one the scriptures pointed to. The Jews' lack of faith in Jesus is evidence of this failure. And so they disbelieve and refuse the Messiah. Verse 41 says, Jesus declares that he does not seek glory from people, unlike the religious leaders who sought praise and recognition from men. Jesus sought to please God and to do his will, and we must do the same. We must not get caught up in needing someone else to affirm good deeds that we have done. We must remember that we serve in the audience of one. We want to make sure that our hearts are right before God. We're not serving and we're not obeying to receive something. Rather, we are obeying because it's commanded of us from the scriptures. Verse uh, 42, Jesus points out that The Jews did not have the love of God within them. They were focused on their own interests and desires rather than seeking to love and serve God. So do we have the love of God within us? Are we living to please ourselves or are we seeking to love and serve God? It's something that we must answer. And one way to find out is where are we spending our time? Are we spending our time with God? Are we spending our time on the created things of this world? So it's, it's a need to be careful. It's not to say that we can't enjoy the things that God have given us, but we must keep value in the proper perspective in the right place. We must understand that so that God is included in everything that we do. And so, we want to make sure that we're doing that. Verse 43, Jesus came in his Father's name, but the Jews did not receive him. And he predicts that if another comes in his own name, the Jews would receive him. And lastly, the fifth witness that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God is Moses. Jesus is quoted in John 5, 44 through 47. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses is the one who is my witness. Can you imagine the court scene? The Jews is calling their witness, and Moses is supposed to be their witness. And then 
they asked the question regarding whether or not these Jews are guilty of sin or whether Jesus is guilty. And then their own witness turns on them and points to them and say that they're guilty. And the feeling at that time when you put all of your hope in the thing you trusted in, that you thought would never fail, walks out on you. All the hope that they had in the divine courtroom, the windows was open and it flew out of the windows, giving them nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. All they were faced with was judgment. And that's what's going to happen for those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you're putting your hope in, that you're holding on to, will leave you. We see it at every funeral. Everyone would have to be in that six-foot pond box one day. The question is, where will you be after death leaves your, after life leaves your body? The scripture says when death comes, right after that comes the judgment. See, this is the seriousness that we're dealing with. So this passage is... It's part of a long discourse by Jesus to the Jewish leaders leaders who were challenging his authority and his claim to be the son of God. For Christians, this passage teaches us the importance of seeking the approval of God rather than the approval of other people. It reminds us that the ultimate goal should be to please God, not to impress or please others. We hear it in the scriptures Right, Whatever you do in word or deed, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for what? The glory of God. That's, that's the idea. This text highlights the importance of understanding that and studying the scriptures. And so let us be encouraged to do that. This passage is, is where Jesus continues to explain that he has the authority as the son of God. And ultimately, our faith in Jesus should lead us to a deeper understanding of God's will and a commitment to following Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Let's pray.